I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we got another Chad on our show. Chad, I think you're the first other Chad we've had, so I may get confused figuring out which one of us is supposed to talk. But Chad Odom is with us, and he's the director of the Lake Martin, Alabama Area Economic Development Alliance. So, Chad, welcome to our show. Thanks so much. I'm honored to be on with such an esteemed Chad. Um, oh, there you go. Real, Chad, real esteem. So, uh, Chad is in absolutely one of the prettiest areas of Alabama. We got to go up and do a lot of work up there last year, and I got to see that area and that golf course and that lake. And I actually asked the mayor at the time how COVID was handling, how that was working for them from a sales tax perspective. And he said their sales tax was up because so many people who live in Birmingham ended up spending their COVID time at the lake. So, Chad, why don't you just tell these folks where y'all are located and and why it's such a great place to live. We're in central eastern Alabama, just north of Auburn, about 30 minutes north of Auburn on Highway 280, which runs uh, east to west between Auburn and Birmingham. And we are in the uh, Granite Belt, uh, a lot of hills. The highest point in Alabama is about 22 miles from my home here in Alexander City. So we're up in the hills, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. And you know, it is a hidden gem. It's a place in Alabama I sure didn't know about until you brought me out here for the job interview. Quite honestly, I was pleasantly surprised with the state of the natural beauty around where we live. And we are a destination of people from all over the South who own uh, lake homes on our beautiful Lake Martin. The lake was built by Alabama Power back in the 1920s. And we've got tons of exclusive real estate being developed with some beautiful golf course developments ongoing and some established golf courses. And it's just a real fine place to be in the lake. Uh, it's one of the few lakes in the South. Maybe the only, it's the only lake in the South I've been in where you can stand in four feet of water and see your toes. So uh, we got some crystal clear water and everybody should come take a look. It is unbelievable. And uh, they got a beautiful country club with houses around it and just a fantastic place, but also a good spot for industry. You're in a great spot for automotive and aerospace and, 
and other things. And so I know uh, while you like to talk about the tourism and it makes a great place to live, you've also got a lot of uh, potential for industry there. We do. And the real attractive thing about the job to me, Chad, as you know, we talked about me coming in, is, is the inventory that we have available. We have three industrial parks within the Lake Martin Area Economic Development Alliance's purview, two in Tallapoosa County, one in Coosa County, which are the two counties that our area spans. And the one in Alexander City that's in Tallapoosa County is the former Russell Athletics Complex. And so we're in a unique position in that we have tons of inventory because we have an industry that made us and then then for lack of a better term, died here, uh, morphed out, moved to Atlanta, moved overseas. Their operations did and left us with tons of inventory and really tons of room to work with within our workforce. We've been adding jobs even before I got here, after Russell left in the early part of the century, and we're still about 3,600 light of where we were with Russell full employment before they started pulling out. And so we have room to grow within workforce. We have Central Alabama Community College here. Uh, Jeff Lynn, folks may know him from Louisiana or Georgia. He's been back in Alabama for a spell, and he's been appointed the uh, president of Central Alabama Community College. So we have a real good team for companies' workforce needs and a lot of inventory site ready to build and buildings ready to house the industries we're attracting. Well, let's get into a little bit about your story. So I got familiar with you, at least your name, when you worked for the World Trade Center in New Orleans. So take us back to how you got into economic development. I got to be careful how deep I get into that. There's a story to my life, and it's not all economic development. So I was around New Orleans when Katrina hit. And I wasn't in the industry then. I was actually waiting tables and uh, attending bar establishments that you know (laughs) down in New Orleans. Commander's Palace is one of the places I worked, uh, waiting tables. I worked at the Bulldog for a minute on Magazine Street and the one in their uh, mid-city location in New Orleans. I was 30 years old when Katrina hit, and I was kind of just having fun and got kind of caught with my pants down a little bit after the service industry uh, had a hiatus after that event. And I saw it, a field that was going to not leave me in that position again. And what I came up with was urban planning. University of New Orleans uh, had an undergrad, one of the few undergrad urban planning departments in the country uh, down at University of New Orleans. And so I re-enrolled in school and started really excelling in the uh, urban planning curriculum. I'd never done poorly in college. I just always kind of never had a, had a goal. And uh, when I got into urban planning, it was all the things I found myself interested in. We're all in one discipline. And so I was able to really pour my heart and mind into learning a discipline that could really help the city I love, which is New Orleans. And when I was pursuing that toward the end, I had a CV that I'd touched together and, and uh, was floating around to the then all the czars that Ray Nagin was hiring. That was the term of the decade back then. Everybody was a czars. There was a recovery czar named Ed Blakely, and there was an infrastructure czar named Ralph Thayer. And uh, Dr. Thayer was a former head of the urban planning department at UNO, and I had a direct connection to him. And I chased him around everywhere I could with my resume, trying to get an internship with the infrastructure czar. And he wouldn't give me one because he didn't have any money to fund me. And he could look at my resume and tell that I'd done some things and I was making a living doing those things and wanted me to continue to make a living. Long story short, way too late is that uh, I forced him to the economic development. He floated my resume to Gene Schreiber, rest his soul, who was then the uh, executive director of the World Trade Center of New Orleans and had been since the 70s. And Gene Schreiber called me up to talk about a job that I never applied for. 
and uh, hired me as the manager of the first stop for international business services at the World Trade Center of New Orleans. And I finished my degree while doing that job, and the rest is history. So it was an awesome opportunity during a unique time in American history to really take a look at deals, foreign direct investment, new market tax credits, accelerated depreciation. And they just kind of threw the book of incentives at that recovery. And here I was, you know, not so young, but newly minting professional aspirations to do great things and got able to sit at the table and learn about everything from biotech, foreign direct investment, hospitals, infrastructure development, community development, block grants, new market tax credits, you name it. We got at the table and learned about it and brought money to it, working along with the Department of Commerce. That's how I got started. That was my job at the World Trade Center. Well, and Gene is a legend in New Orleans and in Louisiana, and probably amongst all the World Trade Centers. What a better mentor to get to work for. You probably didn't know that when you took the job, but I bet you learned it pretty quick. He was about as well thought of as anybody could be. He was an impressive gentleman, and I didn't know it. You know, you want to maintain that naivety so you're not intimidated by people, because if I had known who he was, I may not have gotten the job because I'd have been too intimidated. So by being so naive, I was able to get in there and just be myself and get the gig and get rolling. He was amazing and had the work ethic like I've never seen. I aspire to work that hard and to put that much thought into the details of doing the job of executive director that he did. I was at a conference one time and kind of told part of the story I just told you, and somebody referred to him and knew him as, as a titan. Gene Schreiber was a titan, and so that was a real impressive term that I heard about him, but I was real blessed to have worked with Gene. So my very first office, Chad, was on that building they're redoing right now on the port side, kind of overlooking that plaza down from the World Trade Center building down there. And that whole complex was styled like a Spanish castle. So I, you know, every other office I'll have will pale in comparison to the (laughs) grandeur of, of that facility. We're gonna take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other builders and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success well and folks that may not know so the first world trade center was in new orleans people may think it was in new york but i believe it was in new orleans and so the building at the end of poydras street let's see was it the end of poydras or canal they kind of converged right there yeah, yeah it's kind of where poydras and canal converged the big tower was the World Trade Center of New Orleans. And now at the top of it had a tremendous club where business people would go for lunch and whatnot. 
And now they actually have vacated that building because there's a Four Seasons hotel development going in it. I hope that they maintain some of the world trades that, you know, named the bar after it or something just because it was such a historic building. So did you grow up in New Orleans? I knew you worked here, but I never, I don't know if I've ever asked you if you grew up in the city or where were you from? I grew up north uh, Louisiana, uh, near Shreveport in a little town called Minden, Louisiana. My grandfather had a little radio license there, an AM, FM simulcast station. It's kind of natural that I fell into this. I mean, I grew up watching my grandfather do economic development through his radio station, trying to drive people out to other people's businesses. You know, he always would tell me growing up, you know, he had a brother that was a pretty successful guy, owned some business ventures and everything. And he always told me, you know, my brother was real successful, but nobody has done more with their life about what they wanted to do than I have. I always took that to heart and I always watched his passion toward helping these small businesses get more customers. I'm just lucky and blessed that I was able to find a field that enabled me to kind of carry on that legacy and, and to pour my energy into something that's altruistic and noble that actually provides for my family now. But Midland, Louisiana is where I'm from. It's up on I-20. I know you know where it is. That's my home spot where, yeah, where I grew up. I've done a deal with a company up there and we do a lot of work in Shreveport and my nephews are going to be an airplane pilot, at Louisiana tech in Ruston. So that's why you don't have this new Orleans accent. You from I 20 instead of I 10, you that's were able exactly. to slip out without sounding like it. Well talk about really the planning background and how that can intersect with economic development. Because as we interviewed you for that job in Lake Martin, one of the things that the committee was drawn to is they said, we've really never, had real good planning. You're dealing up there with a two county organization and in multiple cities and obviously the lake and all. And so one of the things they were drawn to in your background is how you might could bring some planning aspects to the table. So some economic developers may look at planning and think that that gets in their way, where in reality, if it's done properly, it probably can help them. So just talk about how those two things intersect and how you've been able to successfully put those principles into your economic development practice. I view planning as a playbook. In, in a way to, to lay out plans that transcend maybe our time in any position. If you put the plan in place and build it with the right people, it will transcend one individual's spot in an organization. Now, I plan on staying here a long time, so don't get me wrong, but you want to plan for posterity's sake. And to me, that's what planning does. The background of it and the discipline of it, it's a holistic look at where you are and where you're going. It takes everything from underground up to the top of the building and all the people and systems in between into account. And so I'm proud to have a planning degree and to be able to apply this to the field of economic development. And I think that, you know, if there's any planners that listen to this, or if you know anybody that's in planning that's maybe not too, you know, gets frustrated in the field, you know, economic development is just planning with finance. In my book, it's planning with finance and investment. And so the planning discipline is all about plans. It's all about laying it out and you know, what is and what could be and what are the possibilities, but it doesn't deal much with, you know, where is the investment going to come from and where are the dollars going to actually come from? You may list some sources, but putting those sources together is economic development. So I view the planning as laying the groundwork, giving a long-term goal with short-term steps to get to that goal as a way to bring people together to get on the same page so that there's no mistaking what you're doing. There's no mistaking the progress we're making or the direction we're going to go. Steps are outlined and you're just taking those steps. It's kind of like eating an elephant, right? I mean, you do it one bite at a time, but if you don't know you're eating an elephant <laughs> or don't know it is an elephant, you're just taking bites all the time. It can get frustrating and you probably never finish that elephant, right? Or walk away from the table before you even get close. And so 
I like having the definition to find out outcomes of the plan and the vision. Also, you know, beyond that as a marketing tool, I think companies like to know, you know, if I'm going to invest $100 million somewhere, I sure as heck want to know what my neighbor's doing. Just like right. buying a house in a subdivision, right? You check out the covenants, you check out the amenities, the HOA fees, you check out everything. It's the same thing with the company. They're going to check out the taxes. They're going to check out the infrastructure. They're going to check out your ability to maintain that infrastructure. And they're also going to check out what you're trying to do in the neighborhood. So the plan also offers that. It's a way to attract investment because you can easily convince people that their investment is going to be protected by what you're planning on doing next door. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. In June of 2020, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, and we already have more than 100 economic developers as part of our movement. The movement was really built to help improve the quality of lives of economic developers. It helps economic developers land more deals, helps them get along better with their board and elected officials, helps them deal with the media, even helps them learn how to build their resume if they want to look for a new job. So thank you to our first 100 members, and if you want to join the movement, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more. Well, I know we don't have time before a few more questions, but it grew up in Minden, Louisiana, which is as small a town as there possibly can be. I don't know how big it is, but then you make your way to New Orleans. I know you spent some time overseas, I think in Brazil, if I remember. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think in Colombia. Oh, in Colombia. Spent some Columbia. time in Colombia, and then you ran a small Texas town economic development. So, not a lot of people can be as happy in a small town as a big city as overseas. So what is it about your personality or what you like to do that's allowed you to be able to kind of fit in no matter where you are or what size the town is? <laughs> I think it goes back to my grandfather and really having a mission, you know, wanting to do something to make the world a better place and how to do that and be able to take care of a family at the same time. But when I was in New Orleans, before I got into economic development, just looking at planning and looking at the new urbanism movement was getting going, and they were studying New Orleans a lot. And a lot of the things that makes New Orleans so attractive to people is it's a bunch of small communities that are loosely connected. So you've got all these nodes that are naturally in New Orleans. You know, Gentilly has their own center, and Mid-City has their own centers, and Uptown, and all these different places, River Bend, you got Marrero, Gretna. All these places have their own kind of urban fabric. And it occurred to me while I was studying that, again, before economic development, that, you know, small towns have this. And again, if you, if you go back to what I said, you know, being caught with my pants down, I was, I was looking for a sustainable path toward career development. And I did some numbers back then. I was like, heck, man, you know, everybody's focused on New Orleans and these towns that are a million people. I mean, how many of those are there in the United States? You know, what, 30 maybe? You know, if you look at towns that are 15, 10 to 15,000 people, there's 50,000 of them. And so uh, it was a confluence of looking at the urban planning principles that the foremost minds like Andreas Devani and these people were putting together, and then looking at the practicality of job sustainability and what I could find to do to make a contribution and to keep a livelihood. It all came together, put me towards small towns. I have a passion toward it. I want to help Minden. I want to help Alex City, all these places I go, and anybody that wants to call me from a small town, I'm happy to help. I just think it's important that these, that these more rural, small towns have access to the same knowledge base and same opportunities that the larger cities do. And at the time when I was getting into this field, I saw a real gap there. Now, I think that gap shrunk. I think there are people like me that are out in these small towns. I'm not unique. I mean, there's a lot of us that have the same kind of mentality that I do that are out trying to make a difference. And a lot of these organizations like yours 
in CDFA, for example, the Council Development Finance Agency. Some of these other organizations have made it a lot easier to disseminate the information that small rural places need to be on the same footing as these suburban towns to grow. You know, that's how I do it. And I just treat everybody with that kind of naivety. I'm just naive enough when I meet with everybody to treat them like they're my buddy or my grandfather. They're somebody I respect and I treat everybody with respect. And everybody's given the benefit of the doubt and with over graciousness, probably more than I should. And that enables me to talk to anybody at any time about anything and hold my head high. And, you know, I'm honest about what I know and don't know. I don't try to pretend I know something I don't. I ask questions instead of pretending to be an expert, learn from everybody I meet, you know, through that lens is how I'm able to do it. You know, how can I talk to the CEO of GE Finance? And one of my positions, I was in Hyderabad, India, and we repositioned the whole voice protocol to comply with Frank God and and end user metrics for satisfaction. And I had to meet with the CEO who's still the CEO. Margaret Keene's still the CEO of Synchrony Bank, which is what GE Finance Retail was. And so yeah, I had to go meet with her to change a whole big protocol. And she agreed to it. It was the same attitude I had then. I and mean, I knew who she was and I knew she was impressive and I was humble and respectful and, and treated her like I would, you know, my grandma or my mother or somebody I really loved and respected. All right. Well, as we wind down, give these folks y'all's website because some people may hear this and want to go look at it. I'm telling you, go spend some money in Chad's area. You're going to have a ball up there. And I know I think you might be redoing your website, but tell these folks where they can learn more about the Lake Martin area. Sure. We are piecing it together. The website wasn't in terrible shape when I got here, so I'm doing it a piece at a time. It's lakemartineda.com. Do come out. Give me a call if you want to come visit. Be happy to you know, go have lunch with you and show you around and uh, show you what Lake Martin has to offer. Beautiful place. It's lakemartineda.com. All right, Chad, thank you for spending a few minutes with us.